This morning's scripture reading is from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning we have a special guest with us, Dr. Paul Borthwick and his wife Christy serve on the staff of Development Associates International, which is a training group dedicated uh, to the character and ministry development of leaders in the under-resourced world. Uh, we first got to know Paul through a book that the Global Outreach team read uh, and invited him uh, to come share some of the ideas from the book with us through one of our own, Becca Carmer, who uh, had Paul at, when he was an adjunct professor teaching missions at Gordon College. Uh, so Becca was our, our first connection. You can thank her for this morning. Uh, Paul serves also as an Urbana Missions Associate with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and his ministry focuses on three main priorities, uh, mobilizing others for cross-cultural ministry, encouraging the ongoing growth of older leaders, and motivating the development of younger leaders. And so Paul serves as a resource person, teacher, speaker, and author around the world. Uh, Paul will be preaching this morning from John 3.16, so I encourage you to turn there, and let's welcome Paul. Good morning. Well, good morning, Faith Church. Uh, you might have first come to know me because of the book of Becker, but I've been known, knowing your church for many years. Uh, I want to bring greetings from my home church, Grace Chapel, and our, specifically our executive pastor, Bill Burke. Uh, some of you might remember him. I think our church stole him some years ago from you, sorry. But, uh, and uh, also I work with Urbana, which is now directed by Ruth Hubbard, who also calls this church home, as I understand it. And the group I work with, Development Associates, is now in a partnership with two different schools, including Foreman Christian College in uh, Lahore, Pakistan, with Jim and Beth Tebby, who I also work with for, through Urbana. So your church is well-known, and your church is well-known for living out Psalm 67. Basically, the Psalm 67 is a prayer that God will bless us so that the world might be blessed. And the, the history of this church and the history of the missionaries in this church have been your way of blessing the nations from across the street to across the globe. So that's why I'm here this morning, primarily to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing, get involved with it, celebrate it. Before we look at John 3.16, I I, I've said in all the different meetings I've been at this weekend I want you to know from a global missions point of view, we are living at perhaps the most exciting time in all of Christian history outside of the time that Jesus walked the earth. On any given weekend, Jesus is being worshipped in 2,000 languages or more. We're living in a place where missionaries are being sent from everywhere to everywhere. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, just the other week, I was in my own Boston hometown and ran into a Nigerian missionary to Boston. Because don't forget, we are somebody else's ends of the earth. And as soon as some church becomes the church, they're under the, under the mandate of the Great Commission to send people to all nations. And so there are actually any number of missionaries. There's more than 15,000 missionaries preaching to the people of England. Those 15,000 missionaries come from other countries of the world. So a country that used to send is now a recipient as well as a sender. It's an amazing time to be alive. Just in November, I was with Tom Lynn, who's the, now the president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and Ruth has replaced him as director of her band, Ruth Hubbard. Tom and I were at a conference in Nigeria where more than 6,000 Nigerian university students were being challenged to go into all the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing time to be alive. And my encouragement this morning is to help everyone realize that we have all opportunities to engage the world. Or to fray the phrase we'll look at at lunchtime, you know, what does global mission really have to do with me? It has a lot. And we're going to frame that looking at John 3.16. Now, Joey asked you to open to John 3.16, but I'm just curious, how many of you actually know John 3.16 from memory? All right? So why don't we do this? Let's just... Recite it in whatever translation or whatever is your first language, and we'll let God sort out the rest. So let's just go with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Our age is depicted by the version we quoted in. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, the religious leader, and he's come to him at night. You might remember John 3. John 3 is where Jesus says you have to be born again. He talks about the Holy Spirit being like the power of the wind. You can see it, its effect, but you can't always see where it's coming from or where it's going. He talks about the fact that he's going to be lifted up like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and anybody who gazes on him will be saved. And then he says, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. I'd like to argue that many of us know this verse so well we don't even think about it. We can quote it without actually unpacking it, without thinking through what it means. And I'm only going to look at the first half of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And thinking in those terms to sort of rekindle our motivation for engaging the world as followers of Jesus Christ and living what I'm going to call a John 3.16 lifestyle. For God. It's an important thing to realize that missions doesn't begin with global travel or globalization or immigration or the transition of people from nation to nation. Mission begins with the very character of God. God is the great initiator of mission. Or as another way to say it is, our God is a missionary God. God is the great, the great pursuer. He's the one that starts the process of looking for lost people. And it begins as early as the book of Genesis. 
if you remember in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve were told to enjoy the Garden of Eden except don't eat from this one tree. And we all know what they did. They ate from the one tree. And when they ate from that tree, they realized that relationship with God was broken. They were naked. And they hid themselves, the Bible says. And the very first interaction between holy God and now sinful, broken, separated human beings is God pursuing them. Genesis 3, 9. What's the question that God asks? Are you a talking church? I mean, I, I do a lot of work in Africa. You're used to getting some feedback. So, you know, what's the question that God asks? Where are you? Where are you? I'm looking for you, God's saying. I know you've done what you've done. I'm looking for you. Now, I, I don't know what kind of training you might have, but maybe you're not theologically trained. But I think you can understand this question. If God knows everything, he's everywhere present and he's all-powerful, did God already know where they were? But he wanted them to know he was looking. God is the great pursuer. He looks for people. In a sense, that's what global mission is. That's what cross-cultural outreach is. That's what evangelism is. It's us following our God into the world, saying to a lost world, where are you? My God wants you back. I want to be a pursuer like God pursued me. The same theme continues into the New Testament. Jesus didn't introduce the idea of reaching out. He just carried it forth. In Luke chapter 15, if you look at it, he tells three parables about a lost coin, a lost uh, sheep, and a lost son. And in every one of those parables, God is presented as the one who goes looking. The, the homeowner who sweeps clean the house looking for the lost coin. The, the shepherd who leaves behind the 99 looking for the lost sheep. And, and the, the father who breaks with all social convention to go out and welcome the lost son. And even then, when the, the older brother doesn't come to the banquet, he goes out to welcome the older brother. And then a few chapters later, when Jesus is accused of having lunch with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, Jesus states his mission clearly. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Our God is a pursuing God. When I've taught over many years at Gordon College, one of the courses I taught was the Survey of World Religions. And one of the things we were doing, being a Christian college, was distinguishing the difference between Christian faith and other faiths. Appreciating some of the aspects of those other faiths, but realizing that Christianity is indeed different. And one of the biggest differences is that in Christianity, God comes looking for us. God comes down in the person of Jesus Christ to seek and to save the lost. In almost all other world religions, it's about doing enough prayer or doing enough sacrifice or doing enough pilgrimage to get up to God. Whereas in Christianity, God comes down to find us and say, where are you? And when we understand that God is the great initiator, when we understand that God is the great initiator, it gives us two different understandings. Number one is, it makes us understand that wherever we go, God's going before us. God is the pursuer and we're joining him. That's why sometimes now you'll hear people say, not doing missions, but joining in God's mission. 
Because God the one, God's the one who's on a mission. Before I came into the world, God was on mission. After I die, God will still be on mission. And I'm joining in that mission. But God's going ahead of you. So when you go across the street, literally, and you might meet someone from a Muslim country, God brought that person here for you. He, got, he brought that person. He's preparing them in advance. And uh, we do a lot of work in the Muslim world. And you don't, more than any other place in the world you see this is the way God's preparing Muslims in advance. Dreams, miracles, signs, wonders. Jesus shows up in their dreams. I met a guy who works in North Africa, and every month he goes door to door in his neighborhood asking people if they had a dream of a man in a white garment. And every month at least one family has had that dream. Because God's going ahead. He still uses human avenues to communicate the gospel, but he's preparing the way. Many years ago in our church ministry with our college and university students, there was a young woman studying in one of the Boston schools who was coming to our college ministry. She loved the fellowship. She loved the food. She loved the singing. Even the unpacking, the, the teaching of Scripture wasn't, wasn't, she was, wasn't something she was used to because she was culturally Muslim from Turkey. And so the people built a friendship with her, and they finally asked her, they said, uh, they said, Faiza, would you be willing to be in a Bible study? She said, no, no, uh, I, don't even, I, I don't even know my own book, meaning the Quran. I, I don't really want to study your book. And so about three or four days later, Faiza gets a phone call from her mother in Istanbul. Daughter, I had a very significant dream. An angel came to me in the dream and said, tell Faiza it's okay to study the book. What do you think that dream means? She said, well, I was been asked to be in a Bible. You must do it. The angel said. You know, I don't know what you believe about miracles, signs, and wonders, but Muslims believe in miracles, signs, and wonders. So pray for them. When you see someone on the street, just breathe a quick prayer. You know, and don't be weird about it. You know what I'm talking about? You know, in the name of Jesus. I mean, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Just breathe a quick prayer. You know, I go through the airport, and the guy has a name from Muhammad. I'm pretty, I'm just guessing. <laughs> right? But just shoot up a quick prayer. Lord, show yourself to Muhammad. Because God's the pursuer, and we're joining in his mission. But the second thing is, when you understand that God is the great pursuer... And you understand that God ultimately pursued you or me through a parent, a relative, a youth pastor, a camp, a, t a TV ministry, a, a radio broadcast, some sort of encounter on university campus with someone who shared the gospel with you. When you realize that you were pursued, when I realize I was pursued, then I hear God's voice saying, as I pursued you, now pursue or to use John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you, Jesus said. Uh, another way to look at it is this. In the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to himself more than 40 times as being sent into the world. For this reason I was sent. I was not sent into the world to condemn the world, John 3, 17. You know, the Father has sent the Son. and those kind of, More than 40 times, Jesus says, I've been sent into the world. And then on Easter night, after the resurrection, the direction of sent changes. He says, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. 
If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to ask if you are sent. You only need to ask where you are sent. Let me say that again. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't need to ask if you are sent. You only need to ask where you're sent. Back in the Boston area, my wife works this weekend. She's at her microbiology lab. That's where she's sent. God may send her to work in, 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 uh, in some area of India. But for right now, she's sent to her Hindu co-worker that works in the lab station next to hers. You know, the community you live in. This, this, this last, last October, I was in a, a Chinese church just south of Newark. They asked me to come speak there because their mission program has changed because their neighborhood changed. They used to be all people from mainland China. Now the man, the chairman of the missions committee, he says to me, he says, Paul, I don't know what to do. My neighbor across the street is from Iran. The lady next to me is from Bangladesh. And, and all of a sudden, he says, we realize this is the neighborhood we're sent to. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, now I'm sending you. So let me just understand it, see if you're getting this. How many of you live in the greater Indianapolis area? Just raise up your hands. All right. How many of you are sent by God to the greater Indianapolis area? Okay, roughly 60% of you. <laughs> okay, let me give you a philosophical observation. You can only be where you are. You can't be where you're not. I know this is deep, right? If this is where you live right now, God may send you to Berserkistan someplace. That's not a place, just so you know. <laughs> but for right now, this is where you're sent. So live sent. If God initiates, then he's sending us. He's sending us into the world. One of the teams in your church called Mosaic shared a document with me that in Indianapolis, there are now 120 nationalities speaking 90 different languages. I understand, if I understand the statistics they gave me, you could reach out to Saudi Arabians without even leaving Indianapolis. Do you realize you could never invite a Saudi to your house if you lived in Saudi Arabia? You'd be living in an American compound all walled in. But you can invite them to church here. You can ask them to do a comparative Quran Bible study with your, and get together. You're live sent. Open our eyes. I was at another church in another I state, I think it was in Illinois, and uh, since I've never been to Iowa, it had to have been Illinois, um, I, I was in this state, and, and I was hosted by this mission team, global outreach team, as you call it, and this team was a real close-knit fellowship, and every Sunday, they went out to lunch together for fellowship, and they went to something equivalent of Panera's. Right? So not, not a big, expensive restaurant, but a nice restaurant. And, and we went, and I had preached that morning, and I was going to preach that night. And we went, and we sat down at Panera's. And you could notice behind the counter, there was this young lady washing dishes. And she had a hijab on. You know what I mean by a hijab? The, the head covering that indicates she's Muslim. And one of the members of the missions committee leans over to me. See that girl behind the counter? I said, yeah, she's a Muslim. And I said, I said, I think she knows. You don't have to whisper, you know. 
And then I said, you guys come here every week, right? Yeah. I said, what's her name? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I see a Shiite or a Sunni. What kind of Muslim? Did she, she have a prayer center? Why is she in the city? Oh, don't know, don't know, don't know. The mission committee had never initiated a conversation with the woman. What were they afraid of? She could have stabbed him with plastic forks? <laughs> I mean, let's get over our fears and join the God who's sending us into the world. Amen? And we need to just open our eyes and do it. It's an amazing opportunity. We're sent. God's going before us because God's the great pursuer. And God says to us, join, uh, join me in pursuing lost people. For God, the great pursuer, the great initiator, so loved the world. Love is the motive. The love that has overwhelmed us through Jesus Christ now fills us to love people outside of our own comfort zone. To love people enough to leave the comforts of Indianapolis and go to a place like Lahore, Pakistan. A love that's great enough to take the risk to go on a short-term mission trip or get involved in building friendships through an English language program. It's love that fills us so that we can love. We love because he first loved us. Love is the great motive. Um, in reaching out to one of my uh, very, how can I say this, very non-Christian friends, you know, degrees of non-Christian. This guy prides himself in being not Christian. This is a Boston area, Harvard-educated lawyer. Have I said enough? And, uh, and so, he, uh, so his name is Jack, and we, we would swim at the same pool together, so in the locker room we'd have lots of conversations. And I asked him one time, I said, Jack, I'm convinced that I use words, religious words, that you don't understand. Would you be willing to have breakfast with me and I'm going to give you like a little bit of list of spiritual words and you tell me what you think they mean. And he says, are we going to someplace nice? <laughs> so he didn't want an Egg McMuffin for whatever reason. So we went to a nice place and I started asking him questions. You know, what's John 3.16? He had seen it at football games. He had no idea what it was. I said, well, it's a verse reference in the Bible. He said, like one of the Psalms? I said, no, not even close. But he, you know, I asked him what the Trinity was. He says it was a college in Connecticut. You know, I asked him, I asked him who the four gospel writers were. He said, uh, John, Paul, George, and Ringo. You know, so, I mean, sometimes he was teasing me. I asked him what it meant to be born again. It was very instructive. He said, you're describing a spiritual experience that I have no idea of how to understand. Which actually gave me an opportunity to explain it, which I don't know that he understood afterwards either. But then the only time he got irritated and angry was when I said, what does the word evangelical mean? Ooh. He said, those are those holier-than-thou people always pointing their fingers at people like me saying, you're wrong, wrong, wrong. I said, what about Christy and me? We're evangelicals. He said, well, okay, you're pretty nice. You know. But it was the only time he got angry because we have sometimes to overcome a news media presence that makes us seem like all we are is against everything. I wish he had said, oh, you, you're an evangelical. You're the guys that are still caring for people after the 2004 tsunami in southwestern Indonesia. I wish he would say, you, you, you know, evangelicals have led the way in caring for HIV AIDS patients, patients in Kenya. 
I wish he would say, evangelicals, you're the ones that are loving on people that no one else wants to love. You're the ones that are sponsoring refugee resettlement programs for people that aren't even from your own faith. I wish he had known that. And my friends, that's one of the challenges we face, is to demonstrate the gospel as we preach it, to live it in the way that we care for people. The power of love. I do a lot of work, uh, our, our organization does a lot of work in Sri Lanka, and as you may or may not know, uh, during the, about 10 years ago, there was an awful lot of anti-Christian violence in Sri Lanka, to the point of even one church a week was being burned down in 2004 by radical Buddhists, which is outside the confines of normal Buddhism, but it's a complicated situation. And there was one husband and wife, they were part of what's uh, the denomination called Assemblies of God, which allows women to be pastors, so they were a team pastoring a church in a Buddhist section of southern Sri Lanka. And one Sunday morning, while the pastor was preaching, uh, they came in and shot the man dead in the pulpit. The wife and, and son escaped to Colombo, the capital, and stayed there for a couple of years. But then the Lord spoke to them and said, go back and pastor that church. So she went back to be the pastor, the lead pastor of the church. And a few months, I think it was, after she came back, it was December 2004, and the tsunami hit. And most of the, half of their village was wiped out. And they made their church into like a feeding place, a, sh a shelter, a place to get clothes. And the tw about two days after the tsunami, they're serving the meals. The woman pastor, Lalani, is serving meals. And who comes in? but the guys who shot her husband dead. And she's serving them. And they said, why would you do this? Love. Love. It's love that covers a multitude of sins, the Bible says. It's love that motivates us to sacrifice. It's love that enables us to get over our fears and go out to care for people no one else wants to care for. A John 3.16 lifestyle is a pursuing lifestyle and pursuing people in love. For God, the great initiator, so loved, the great motive, the world, the great target. Now think about it. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, Jewish religious leader, and Jesus is also a rabbi, and Nicodemus would have expected Jesus to say, Nicodemus, for God so loved the Jews, for God so loved the people of Israel, for God so loved the 12 tribes, something like that, the Hebrews. And I think if you can envision it, Nicodemus is sitting there and Jesus, his fellow rabbi, says, Nicodemus, God so loved the world. And I think Nicodemus would have, and then Nicodemus would have had to remember his own scriptures. Declare my glory amongst the nations, my wonderful deeds amongst all peoples. He would have remembered Isaiah, where Isaiah wrote, it's too small for the God of Israel to be concerned only for the people of Israel. God says to the people of Israel, I've made you a light of revelation to the Gentiles that all the ends of the earth might fear me. And Nicodemus would have realized that Jesus was right. God so loved the world. The world. And that's a pretty awesome thought when you think of more than 7 billion souls on planet Earth. 
That's why in the history of your church, you've sent people to all the corners of the earth because it's not just about God so loved Indianapolis or God so loved Indiana or God so loved the United States or even God so loved North America. It's God so loved the world. And that changes our perspective. It changes our perspective because we begin to realize that we have been, back to Psalm 67, blessed to be a blessing. We've received the good news of salvation so that we can bless others with that message to the ends of the earth. God so loved the world. I mean, a few years ago, I was speaking at a church in uh, Pennsylvania, and they told me what they do sometimes during missions weekend on Communion Sunday. Now, I don't know how you celebrate communion here, but at their church, they would distribute the bread. Everybody holds it. The pastor would then say, their tradition was the pastor would say, has everyone been served? And, of course, it was rhetorical. No one would say anything. And then he says, then take, eat. This is Christ's body given for you. And then, again, the, the cup. That Sunday, to illustrate that God so loved the world, the mission committee working in conjunction with the pastor, so he wasn't surprised by this, they distributed the bread, and people were holding it, and the pastor said, has everyone been served? And suddenly someone stood up with the attire of someone from North Africa. I represent the Rifi Berbers of Morocco. We have not yet been served. Someone else stood up. I represent the, the, these people from Western China. We have not yet been served. Someone else, I represent this tribe from Somalia. We have not yet been served. And they used the communion to remind people that even though God so loved the world, not all of the world knows that God loves them. That's why we do cross-cultural mission. That's why we send people out. That's why we commission people to go to the ends of the earth. But the world that we live in has changed so much, hasn't it? When I was a young person, we would take a class on world religions, and Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists were exotic over their people. They were to the ends of the earth. Now the world we live in, my pharmacist is a Sikh from India. My wife's co-worker is a Gujarati from India. Um, one of my medical doctors is a Muslim from Nigeria. And, and the world that we live in has just transformed. God so loved the world might mean going across the sea or it just might mean going across the street. To open our eyes to the fact that God brought the world to us. One pastor in uh, Toronto said it this way. Toronto is arguably one of the most international cities in North America. And he said, Jesus commanded us to go to all the earth, all the, all the countries of the world, all the nations. We didn't go, so now he's bringing all the nations to us. You know, it's amazing the opportunities that we have. And I hope whatever your politics is, you will see refugees and immigrants through the lens of John 3.16. That the pursuing God wants these people to hear the gospel so much, he's bringing them to us. He's bringing them to us because they're coming from a place where they might not hear the gospel to our place it's very unlikely they're going to hear the gospel, to a place where they can hear it freely through you and me. God so loved the world. It's an amazing opportunity that we have. And let me encourage you. I, I know the church has a long history in global mission, but individually expand your vision. Have a map of the world that's current, 
If you have the USSR still on your map, you might need a new map. Okay, if you're praying for French Indochina, you know, get another one, all right? And some of you young ones didn't even know there ever was a French Indochina. Actually, some of my college students didn't even know there was a USSR, so that's just a scary thought. But expand your vision for the world. Maybe you're going to pray, and I don't encourage you to pray for every place, because then it ends up just being what I call the Aladdin's lamp method of praying. You know what I mean? You just kind of rub your hand on the globe, Lord bless the nations. Now choose a nation. I had to laugh at the video about uh, the card where the kid says, I like violent things, so I drew a picture of a tank. Don't, don't actually do that for missionaries that are working in volatile areas. It doesn't really encourage them. You know, it's like, that. that's a picture outside my house. This young guy came to me. He was 17 years old. I said, are you praying for any countries? He says, yeah, I'm praying for Mozambique. So why are you praying for Mozambique? It's the only country of the world with a machine gun on the flag. I said, glad it got your attention, you know. But choose a country or, or a religious group so that you can learn about it and start a conversation. And you can start praying for them. You know, or, or, or maybe, maybe you want to just get involved with specific partners that you already have and praying for them and then sort of, you know, ripple outward and pray for the country that they live in or the mission they work with. And it's just be practical, but be global. If all of our prayers, our local prayers, our God is too small, we need to realize that our God so loves the world. When the prime minister of Japan's in town, breathe a prayer for him. Pray for leaders and kings and rulers that are in authority, including our president and, and the people that are, are determining the direction of the world. It's an amazing opportunity. Now, this is the first time that I visited Faith Church, and so I'm going to give you something that I think every person can expand their vision with, and it is, please listen, the only creative idea I've ever had. All right, creativity is not one of my gifts, as you can tell by my PowerPoint. And uh, <laughs> expand your global vision today by praying for the country on the label of your clothes. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about irregular. That's not a country, all right? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the made-in. Do you realize the global village is on your back? I would say 80% of the shoes you're wearing were probably made, at least in part, in China. You know? And, and let that be God's way of connecting you to the nations. Wherever I go, I share that idea. And it's amazing the responses. This one single mom came up to me. She said, I'm a single mom. I feel like all I do is laundry and ironing, laundry and ironing. Now I have a global ministry. Right? Because it's like today we're praying for Sri Lanka. And maybe she's got, you know, a little Google so she'll learn a little bit about that. Or she goes to operationworld.org and finds out about Sri Lanka. You know? This one lady, one, one woman came to me. She goes, that was a great idea. I said, what? About praying for the country and the label of your clothes. I, I said, why? She goes, well, I homeschool my boys. One's seven, one's nine. She goes, and, and I can't get them interested in studying world geography. So I figured, if, I said, would you at least be willing to look at the labels of our clothes? And the boys said, sure. And, and they thought, the boys, she said, they thought we were going to do Canada, USA, Mexico. She said, we went, opened one of, the, uh, one of our wardrobes and started taking clothes off the hanger. And there was China, world's largest country. 
There was Indonesia, world's largest Muslim country. India, the world's largest Hindu country was there, as well as the second largest Muslim country. Bangladesh and Pakistan, the third and fourth largest Muslim countries. Sri Lanka, uh, Thailand, Cambodia were there, all Buddhist countries. If you want to talk about the unreached peoples of the world, they were hanging there. And she said there were 26 nations in that one closet. And I said to her, that's what Jesus commanded in the Sermon on the Mount. She goes, what? I said, Jesus commanded in the Sermon on the Mount, when you pray, go into your closet. <laughs> All right? <laughs> don't, be, don't be writing to Pastor Joey. That's, that's not what he meant, actually. But you understand, it's, just, it's so exciting to be connected to the world. And when you envision the pursuing God who loves the person who made your shirt, then you pray not just for the country, but you pray for the person. Because some Muslim made this shirt from Bangladesh that I'm wearing this morning. And so this morning when I put my shirt on, I prayed for the man or woman who made my shirt in some factory. And wouldn't it be awesome to foreshadow what God's going to do through that? Because, you know, you come to heaven with his people from every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping Jesus, and you're worshiping in your own language, and you see this guy with a long robe and sandals, kind of a big beard, you know, and, and he comes over, and he says, Hello, my name is Abdul Abdullah from Bangladesh. I made your shirt. And you find out that in the history books of heaven, the work of the Spirit of God began in that guy's life the day that you prayed for the guy who made your shirt. And he started a correspondence course, or he found out about a Bible lesson, and he built a friendship with a Christian, and 10 years later he became a follower of Jesus. Because you started the process by doing something global, by praying for the countries in your closet. God so loves the world. Let's imitate him. Let's love that world. Let's pray for the world. Let's be global Christians. Or as someone else has called it, global local Christians. One of the most amazing things is when sometimes I find an unusual shirt that's made in an unusual place. You know, like Mauritius. When I found one that was made in Mauritius. A little tiny island in the Indian Ocean. I thought, how did that ever get to my closet? Right? About two weeks later, I was talking to an international student from Mauritius. Why? Because God is the pursuing God. And he's at work even in my wardrobe from Marshalls. Um, just wanted to clarify that. You know, when we do this in the youth group, we ask them to have them shout out the country. And it's amazing. People say, you know, Cambodia, Vietnam, you know. Sometimes you get a couple of uh, El Salvador or, or Nicaragua. And then someone says, Italy. And the whole audience, oh, you know. <laughs> Evidently, lostness has a, has a socioeconomic standard. I'm not sure. God, the great pursuer. The John 3.16 lifestyle, we join him in pursuing because we're sent. God so loves. The motive to reach out to the other is a motive of love because God reached out to us when we were still sinners. God so loves the world. It changes the way you see the person with the God on their forehead or the turban or the hijab. It changes the way you see them because that's a person that needs to know that God loves them. 
that he gave his one and only son. The global mission of the church, whether it's across the street or to the ends of the earth, is sacrificial. It costs money to support all your partners. And as a result, some of us might not get the retirement life that we thought we were going to have because we've sacrificed it to help a partner like the seminary in Kiev. Or it might be sacrificial to start befriending Muslims and inviting them into your house and your neighbors start looking through the curtains. What are you doing? And it's sacrificial to get into situations where you're uncomfortable because it's cross-cultural. Or it's sacrificial to go on a short-term mission trip rather than a longer vacation. And it's even sacrificial to expand your prayer time because time is arguably the greatest resource that we all value in the United States. But sacrifice comes with the program. It's part of the territory. It's foundational in the gospel message. It's part of John 3.16. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And you know, the history of missions is people who are willing to make a lesser sacrifice for the sake of the great sacrifice made for them. So the question I want to leave you with this morning is, are we living a John 3.16 lifestyle? Pursuing as we've been pursued. Loving as we've been loved. Seeing the world the way that our, our global God sees it. And being willing to say, yes, Lord, for small to large, I'll be willing to pay the price to be part of what you want to do in this world. Thank you, Faith Church, for being so faithful in being part of John 3.16 living. Let's keep doing it. Let's pray. Father, we are so excited to be alive at this time in human history. What a privilege it is to see places like China thriving with hundreds, a hundred million or more Christians. What an awesome a privilege it is to realize that the church is growing in Iran. It's amazing, Lord, to think that even by our clothing we can be part of global praying. Thank you, Lord, for the legacy of this church, and thank you mostly for the future of the impact they're going to have on Indianapolis to the ends of the earth. Here we are, Lord. Send us out. In Jesus' name, amen.